follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, here's Dr. G. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters. I'm Cheryl G., and I'll be your host for the hour. With us today, we have uh, three fantastic guests, uh, Vernon Evans, and Vernon Evans is the CFO and Vice President of Finance and the Treasurer with the San Diego County Regional Airport Authority. Welcome, Vernon. Thank you. Yes, and with us also we have Mike Burns, and Mike is a partner. Hey, Mike. Mike's a partner with uh, BWB Solutions, and you're in Bradford, Connecticut, Mike? Yep, Brent. Fabulous. And also with us today is Dwight Smith, and Dwight is the legal counsel and an executive vice president at the Neighborhood House Association here in San Diego, California. Welcome, Dwight. Hi, Dr. G. Yes. Well, thank you all for joining us for this dialogue on effective board governance and development. I'm going to start by just asking each of you to share a little bit about yourself so that our listeners will have some idea of the perspective that you bring. Vernon, why don't we start with you? Uh, sure, Dr. G. Uh, <clears throat> if I can, first of all, I guess background-wise, I was born and raised in the great state of Texas, at Dallas-Fort Worth area. Oh, wow. Okay, and I attended the uh, North Texas State University, which is now referred to as the University of North Texas, uh, where I attained my bachelor's and master's degree in accounting. I uh, started my career in the public accounting field with a firm of Ernst & Ernst that probably dated me. That firm is no longer around. It's now referred to as Ernst & Young. Oh, okay. And then prior to coming to San Diego, I was the executive VP and CFO for the DFW International Airport. Uh-huh. In, in so that, is, that in and of itself is quite a resume. Problem. But you may continue. <laughs> okay. But in regards to my board experience, I've served on several uh, professional boards, such as the Texas State Board of Public Accountancy, uh, Financial Executive Institutes International, the Institute of Internal Auditors, and to name a few. But I have served on numerous community boards, such as the YMCA, Neighborhood House Association, which I'm assuming you're familiar with, yes. Daycare Association, Southeastern Economic Development Corporation, as well as the United Way of some of the nonprofit organizations that I've served on. Fabulous. Well, Vernon, I am just so pleased to have you on the line today. So, again, thank you for for being with us and engaging in this conversation. Mike, why don't we have you share a little bit about yourself? I'm a private consultant, uh, part of a firm called BWB Solutions. I've been a consultant uh, to nonprofit organizations 
since 1979. Uh, started as a community organizer in Milwaukee and uh, went on uh, to run a community health center. And um, my specialty really lays in helping boards uh, through their stages of development and uh, addressing any of their staff issues. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm currently a board member of the Alliance for Nonprofit Management, which is the capacity building organization of consultants around the country who work with nonprofits. And a couple of years ago, I was the board member for the uh, Social Enterprise Alliance, which is uh, focused on uh, business planning uh, by nonprofits. Oh, fabulous. Thank you so much also, Mike, for being with us today. And then finally, uh, my fabulous colleague, uh, Dwight, want to say a little bit more about yourself. Great. Uh, I'm a Chicago native. I have a Bachelor of Science degree in accounting from DePaul University, which is in Chicago. I have a law degree from the University of Notre Dame. And I began my career as a tax associate with uh, Arthur Anderson in Chicago, kind of dating ourselves there. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> prior, prior to leaving Chicago, I worked with the American Medical Association in their uh, legal department and relocated to California. When I relocated to California, I continued working in the nonprofit um, arena as the Associate General Counsel for the San Diego Convention Center prior to becoming um, General Counsel for the Neighborhood House Association. I serve as an audit committee member of the um, Alliance Healthcare Foundation, which uh, provides or seeks to uh, provide access to healthcare services for those most in need. Fabulous. Well, um, thank you so much, Dwight, for agreeing to join us in this dialogue as well today. I'm going to start by um, Vernon asking you, and then Mike, I'll ask you to join in, and then Dwight, your comments as well, with regards to thoughts on roles and responsibilities of public and nonprofit board members. Um, I think in regards to the uh, roles and responsibility of the public or nonprofit uh, board members, I think one of the key things is uh, I think a major responsibility, first of all, is shaping the direction of the organization through its mission strategies and its key policies. I think that's the one thing for sure that we have to be aligned with what the organization's mission and policy is. I think that's one of the key factors in making the decision as to whether or not you want to be on a board, is being able to say that you're committed to a particular organization mission or strategy. I think that once that's kind of in place, you want to ensure that you have the proper leadership and resources and finances in place to be able to support that particular vision or mission as well. I think also, once again, is you want to be able to monitor performance and ensure that you've got proper corrective action to take to be implemented if the need arises. Hopefully not, but if it does. But then finally, one thing, especially with nonprofits, is the ability to be able to and hope to be able to raise funds because most nonprofits that I've served have usually been a need to have financial resources. Fabulous. Uh, thank you, Vernon. Mike, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I do like to shape this conversation about roles and responsibilities with a pre-conversation about the uh, sort of legal, and I'll take exception, of course, to our legal experts, but um, <laughs> the uh, legal uh, uh, call of duties is uh, classically the care of duty, the duty of care, rather, loyalty and obedience, and that duty of care carries with it a lot of weight about making sure that the organization is solvent, making sure that they're not doing, you know, that they're obeying the laws uh, and that they uh, observe uh, their bylaws, uh, and then loyalty to the, uh, to the mission uh, and, of course, informing mission and uh, obedience, ensuring that 
uh, which is also a part of sort of observing mission. And from these duties comes uh, a variety of jobs like were just outlined. Uh, but I do add, I think uh, there is a, a, a dimension of job which gets shaped by the stage of development. So a very young nonprofit with maybe no staff might be in an infancy stage, and every board member is called to do every task, whereas in a mature organization, which has been around a while and has well-defined and supportive staff and money, uh, that board may take a, a, a much different role. And that's where we then come into this issue, of course, of what, what is micromanaging and what is macromanaging and, and how do we become results-oriented. Uh, no matter what, for me, the board is a results-oriented organization group, and that's the principal issue. Okay, great. Uh, Dwight, how about us having you join in on this conversation? Well, I agree with all, all those prior comments. Um, I, I see the primary purpose of the board, again, is to set the tone for a culture of compliance with the laws and regulations, which is the oversight, um, and also to approve strong and clear uh, business ethics and code of um, conduct and conflict of interest uh, policies that, of course, you know, management as the day-to-day -day implementers uh, need to um, execute on those long-range goals and policies. Okay. So, Dwight, kind of keeping with you for a moment, um, when we think about um, a board and we think about the duties of a board as relates to setting the direction and the policy, how is that different from managing operations and um, and and then maybe even in adding to that comment, what might be some challenges that are associated with board members becoming engaged in running the day-to-day -day operations or maybe a super extension, one might say, of an executive team? Right. Well, as, as Mike indicated, depending on the, uh, the stage of, of the organization, it's a young organization that's not fully staffed versus a fully functioning organization. It's not uncommon for a board member to also be a CEO. But the problem that presents is that, you know, board members have certain um, protections granted by many statutory laws that if you are an unpaid volunteer director, you are uh, um, protected against personal liability. When that director also puts on a hat of a manager, you know, those statutory protections don't apply, and there becomes a difficult um, uh, situation where you have to figure out in what role were you acting when this action or this decision was made. So it can be complicated in those ways. Mm -hmm. So really kind of, um, so so those would be some of the risks. If I step back and I say, well, what does it look like with regards to the difference between policy and strategic direction of an organization, engaging that at that level versus engaging at a level of um, of managing, what are some of the distinctions that you would make? Well, for instance, uh, the board members would probably establish a policy of equal opportunity with regard to employment of, of individuals and also business opportunities. But it would be up to management to actually select the vendors, to select employees, and to uh, hire or fire those individuals in order to accomplish those day-to-day -day activities. So, again, one group, the board, is setting the overarching goals, the long-term plan, management executes on those plans by the day-to-day -day activities. Okay. And Vernon or Mike, anything you'd like to add to that? Hmm. No, uh, just to, to note, though, that um, policy is a big label, and within that label, 
uh, I think it's fair to say that strategic planning is a you know the the outcome of strategic plan is policy. The uh, decisions about how you want to treat your employees is policy. So I, I think the policy board is is under a very big tent, uh, and then out of that comes the uh, ideas about uh, how do you measure whether or not you're doing what you said you would do, and uh, as a result of that measurement, making uh, being clear that you're uh, driving towards mission. Okay. So it's a big... Yeah, I want to add, I think on the strategic direction... Kind Is of that Vernon speaking yes, now? Yes, hey, yes. Vernon, I'm going to have us just put a comma there. When we come sure. back from break, we're All going right. to start with you. I'm going to Not ask our listeners to please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about this show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. Are you thinking about starting a nonprofit? Or perhaps you've already started one and want ideas, inspiration, and encouragement. Tune in to Nonprofit Spark with your host, Renee McGivern. Our program will feature as guests the leaders of emerging nonprofits who will share what works for them. We also will hear from experts who offer advice to make your jobs easier. Tune in to Nonprofit Spark, and together we'll create a world that works for everyone. Nonprofit Spark airs live Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. more on Leadership Matters. We're discussing today effective board governance and development, and with us today we have Vernon Evans, and Vernon is the CFO as well as the Vice President and Treasurer of, I'm, I'm messing up your title on our Vernon, it's Vice President of Finance and Treasurer? Vice President of Finance and Treasurer. Thank you. With the San Diego County Regional Airport Authority. With us on the line also is Mike Burns, who's partner with BWB Solutions, LCC, that's in Bradford, Connecticut. And then also we have on the line Dwight Smith, who's the legal counsel 
an executive vice president with the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California. Welcome back to all three of you. Thank you. Thank you. Before we went to break, Vernon, you were getting ready to share a little bit more on this um, topic of um, strategic direction versus day-to-day management and so on and so forth. Let me just have you jump back in with your thoughts. Yeah, I was just going to kind of uh, summarize it, if I could, Dr. D. On strategic, Thank you. On strategic direction and policy, it kind of, to me, answers the question of what purpose do we serve to our stakeholders, our community, and it's focused for the long term. Whereas to me, more with the management of operations kind of more addresses the question of how do we achieve our purpose and meet our stakeholder community requirements for the short term. In other words, the day-to-day tactics and operations are making things happen. So I think it's the distinction between those a little bit in the policy and the distinction versus the management of the operation day-to-day. That's, what I was, that's the only thing I was going to comment on. Good. I like that. That's uh, like that distinction and that kind of boiling that down. Mike, um, Dwight, anything you would add to that? Um, I'd want to offer that uh, setting strategic direction is a board that is effective of that, is a board that does strategic direction activity uh, that is, uh, and this is the distinction I think I just heard, which is that it is, strategic direction is long range. It's, it's, it's multi-year maybe. Right. It's fully informed so that they don't, the board doesn't do this without uh, uh, understanding what the decisions are, and it's results-focused, that they have an idea of what's supposed to happen as a result of the agency's efforts, uh, how well they're getting the mission. They have me- uh, metrics to do that. So uh, I- I'd want to just go down a little level there to say that strategic direction does have some uh, clear uh, results uh, that are distinct from when you're doing uh, sort of micro or day-to-day planning. Right. Okay. Uh, Dwight, any additional thoughts from yourself? Well, just with respect to those board members that are also management, uh, it really comes into play when you look at your liability coverage with respect to your DNO policy. If you have DNO coverage as a director, you may not have, for instance, like employment practice liability protection if that same director is acting as management. So, so there's always um, concern about coverage under your DNO policy. And when you say DNO policy, you spell uh, that out for what sorry, you're talking about. Directors and officers policy okay. that provides mm-hmm. uh, insurance. Also, many of the bylaws and companies have indemnification provisions that will that will allow a person who is sued to be protected, cost advance and protection of that individual, provided that they are acting within the scope of their responsibility. Responsibility mm-hmm. as, a, as a board member or responsibility as an officer. So mm-hmm. it's just mindful to be aware of those distinctions and the potential liability that could be out there. Okay. Uh, Thanks, Dwight. Um, Mike, um, would you like to share some experiences that you've had with regards to either witnessing from your consulting or as it relates to your being engaged in a board that was well-functioning? Oh, Mm well-functioning. Oh, that's bad. It's it's so much more fun to talk about the (laughs) less Uh, and there's so many more of them. Uh, but I think, uh, first of all, the most, uh, I'm trying to think of a particular board, but the boards that I've seen that work well are generally in their mature stage. They have, uh, they are clear between the, the, the clear distinction between what the board does and what the staff does, and they've had discussions about that. Um, I think uh, another clear um, a successful board is a board that has 
together and individually understood and discussed their uh, theory of change. They understand what the source of their mission is, but equally important, they understand what each of them brings to the table and why. And I think the third element is, uh, that I've seen most common is a board that has an effective chair. A board without an effective leader, uh, the governing side of the organization, a board without that governing chair is a board that flails, it's a board that's not organized, it's a board that doesn't understand its strategic issues, it's a board that doesn't necessarily know how to manage its one staff person, which is the CEO. Okay. And, Vernon, I'm going to have you join this conversation. I know you've served on several boards. Um, from your perspective with regards to boards that have been well-functioning and engaged, what have been your observations? Um, just a couple of things on Dr. G. And for one, I think is uh, a board members that are, like you said, well-engaged. What I mean by well-engaged and prepared is that they are committed to the mission statement. And basically that they take it to heart that when they get the materials and things, they study them. When they come to board meetings, they're prepared to be able to engage and they don't want their time to be wasted, and they you know, are able to put forth their contribution to help the organization to move forward. But I think one of the key things that I, I like on a board responsibility level is the selection and evaluation of the CEO because it's through the CEO that a lot of what takes place and what happens you know, that the board wants to get done happens through that individual. So I think it's a very key role of, of, for having an effective board that can really make it do a good job of selecting and making sure they get the proper leadership in place, as well as making sure that the adequate financial resources are in place to be able to carry out that mission. Wonderful. Dwight, anything you'd like to add to that? Well, I believe effective boards also make use of the committee structure. Um, it's a lot for any one board member to be responsible for all phases of a business, from finances to employment to the actual um, business operations. But by effective use of the committee structure, delegating authority to different board committees, it's a good way to uh, divide those scopes of responsibility into bite-sized pieces. And then you learn to rely upon your colleagues in those various committees and, and go by their recommendations. Okay. I guess in addition, the board needs to be comprised of the proper skill set. You need to have people right. on the board who understand financial statements, who understands, you know, the community and those type of interests as well. And then other than that, you just need to make certain that all of the board decisions are properly documented. There's nothing worse than trying to figure out what did we decide last month, last year, Without having those records in place, it could be a big disservice to the board. Great. Mm -hmm. Can I speak uh, just uh, for a moment about the committees? Or do we uh, have definitely, yes. Is that Mike? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have, uh, I'm part of a national uh, committee that's working, affinity group that's working on governance and different issues around engagement. And one of the things we're coming very clear about is, um, is a dissatisfaction with standing committees. Uh, we are looking at alternative approaches to say, I, so now this is not to say that I don't agree that committee work is a good way to get the homework done, and I very much agree that we don't want the board rehashing what a committee says and does. Right. Uh, that said, we're, we're at a, coming to the conclusion that um, standing committees are not as effective as uh, task forces or uh, uh, bodies that are set up to get one job done, very much like audit committees. Audit committees have one task. They're set up somewhere just before the end of the year. They review the audit. They let the board know if, if, what the auditors find, and, and it's independent, and it, it just gets set up for that purpose. That's one example. But I think with the exception of a governing committee and maybe an executive committee, 
maybe a finance committee. The rest of the committee work can be done uh, with with sunrise, sunset, very clear beginning and end, and very clear path so that uh, board members get to do a variety of jobs, they get to do it over different periods of time, and we don't burn them out with expectations that uh, generally in a lot of committees just don't get satisfied. Um, Vernon and Mike, let, I mean Vernon and Dwight, let me hear a little bit about your thinking on that with regards to um, your experiences with committee structures and their engagement and interactions with boards. You know, listen to what Mike just said. I mean, uh, there seems to be a lot of truth in that particularly because I noticed in a couple of the latest uh, boards that I've been on is that they more go to the ad hoc committee versus being the standing committee. So I think it's kind of like Mike indicates. I think it's an opportunity to be able to get a uh, get the right skill set maybe possibly from the board to be on a particular ad hoc committee to evaluate a particular issue at that time. And once that's done and, and recommendations or conclusions are made from that, then the committee can disband and then that allows and frees them up to be able to participate in other committees versus being locked into a particular committee. So that's probably not a bad idea, Mike. Mm-hmm. And Dwight, your view? Right. I see that uh, as well being a, a good point. Um, realizing, however, that many standing committees, they may be standing committees, but they don't meet as often. They tend to meet as needed. And so, in essence, sometimes they become like an ad hoc committee. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do agree with those comments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that might be an um, interesting shift in thinking in some ways, a, a, a kind of a different paradigm. True. I might say. Any thoughts with regards to um, things that um, are potential pitfalls that uh, boards want to be aware of so that they are set up for greater success? Potential pitfalls come to mind for anybody? Well, I, I would start by saying that it's good to have a clear line or outline of what type of activities are will be submitted to the board for approval. Is there a certain dollar limit that needs to go for the board approval, certain um, bank account information? So what exactly does management expect it has the responsibility to submit to the board for approval versus, you know, establishing what types of things the management will just take care as part of their day-to-day normal operating tasks. Mm. So having some clarity between, you know, what do we take to the board, what do we not have to take to the board, or even establishing some thresholds that are that are put in place so that there's clarity with regards to the roles and responsibilities when it becomes more of a um, something that's raised at the board level versus something that the executive level and, and their staff can take care of? Right, exactly. I think okay. a good CEO is going to always make certain that their board is informed, mm-hmm. but there is that delicate balance of, you know, I have been placed in charge of this organization. There are certain things that, as a general in the field, I just need to execute, knowing that my board has already given me preclearance and authority to mm-hmm. to play in this arena. Okay, very good. Well, we're going to uh, take another quick break, and uh when we come back, I think, Dwight, you may or may not be on the line with us, so if you don't continue to be with us, I wanted to make sure I thanked you for joining in on this conversation. And to our listeners, if you please would stay with us, we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. 
When you are trying to establish your financial plan, there are all sorts of variables that you'll need to take into consideration, from the ever-changing economy and markets to investment risk and your own financial needs. How do you manage all of it to find a plan that will work for you? Tune in to The Insightful Investor with Bob Pugh. We'll help you iron it all out to help you stick to a financial plan with the knowledge that you need. The Insightful Investor is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have we got a high-energy, all-access sports show for you. It's Outside the Huddle, starring Lemont Williams with co-host Jacob Greer. Each week, join Lemont and Jacob as they take callers, discuss the week's top stories in the world of sports, and sit down with active and former players to discuss their transition from sports to business. Outside the Huddle is a great resource for players making career transitions both on and off the field. Tune in Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and 5 Pacific for Outside the Huddle on the Voice America Sports Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. Leadership Matters. Today we're talking about board governance and uh, board development. And with us today we have uh, Vernon Evans, CFO, and the Vice President of Finance and Treasurer of San Diego County Regional Airport Authority, and Mike Burns, who's partner with BMW Solutions LLC in Bradford, Connecticut. Thank you both for staying with us. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to start off this segment with asking you, Vernon, to just share your thoughts on should organizations um, make the assumption that board members really come knowledgeable and prepared to carry out their roles and responsibilities at board, as board members, or is there something that organizations should accept responsibility of doing in order to equip members to serve effectively? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I definitely uh, don't think that the organization should assume that the board members come knowledgeable and prepared to carry out their roles and responsibilities. They may be experienced board members, and that's fine, but I think they need to come in and go through a formal process of making sure that they understand this organization that they're coming into, and that includes being able to have assimilations and a training process providing insight into the organization's mission, its visions, its values, its key strategies. Uh, definitely know about its conduct and ethics, uh, conflicts of interest policies, disclosures, transparency, responsibilities, decision-making, how the organizational structure. So an overall board training orientation has to take place and should take place, I think, when they come on board. Great. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, oh, absolutely. We can't expect board members to, to know uh, just about anything, actually. And um, I, I'm a firm believer that we can actually use task forces and committees as a 
first step both to screen people in terms of their potential as a board member and to give them insights into the organization. So there's a stepping stone. And then second, I, I do like a, a board orientation program, preferably run by the chair, not by the uh, staff, where uh, we, we do a history, we give folks a conversation around the theory of change, we go over the roles and responsibilities, we review the manual and the bylaws. So I, I think that's uh, all right when you recruit someone and you get them in the room, and and uh, that it's not that orientation is not just for the uh, new board members, but that that should involve everyone. Uh, nice nice retreat to have everybody, uh, what we call a board advance, to have everyone uh, gathered together and learn about each other and and get familiar. So it's not just technical knowledge that we want board members to have, but the relationship. There's as much. Uh, about being a board member and relating to the rest of the board and trusting them and getting to know them and to have the similar theory of change as there is the technical uh, capacity within the board. Mm -hmm. Vernon, any additional thoughts for you on that? No, I would agree with Mike uh, wholeheartedly on that. I think uh, being able to get them in and uh, get them oriented in the proper training, and I agree with the fact about having the board do it versus staff doing it. I think that's kind of key that is kind of done on that level uh, versus getting down into the uh, staff level. But I think the key is that probably after that, there's probably is a good orientation that should take place even with the staff level so that they actually have an idea of what happens at the staff level. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, um, Mike, I heard you also saying that in addition to what both you and Vernon have talked about as relates to board orientation and some of the elements and components of that orientation, it's an ongoing board development process. What might that ongoing piece look like and what might be the frequency of it? Well, I, I think actually this is, this is I want to reinforce also, I think, uh, this issue of, uh, of where staff come in. I, I like, uh, I think, Vernon, you just raised it, that, right. that you know, there will be periods where we want staff to orient. And I, I think at every meeting, be that meeting a quarterly or every other month, uh, there should be staff who come in and tell the stories about what's going on out there. Right. I, I don't actually know, Vernon, how that works on a transportation Sort of focus, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what I would come to hear. But I think, in, in for certainly in the human service side, I, I want a story about what's going on, and I, I want that story to be illustrative of uh, the, the outcomes that we're here to do. And and so that to me is an important part of the orientation. That's how folks get their hands on understanding what's going on, and more importantly, that's what turns a board member on to be a good fundraiser. And I have to agree with that, Mike. And one of the best examples of that for me is, uh, is and I will mention, is the YMCA board. They do an excellent job of being able to bring in and bring us in recipients of the services that they're being issued, you know, and delivered by the Y. And those are the kind that come in and move the board, like you just said, to do more, to give more, when they're able to really see the effect that they're having on people in their lives and stuff and building services. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Great. Anything else? either of you would add with regards to what that ongoing training and development might look like uh, or what that building the relationships of the board for kind of serving that capacity together might look like. Well, let's go back to those committees or task forces again. I think that's a training arena as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I want to introduce the concept of a career path for board members who, let's say you have two, three-year terms, which is not uncommon. Uh, the board member comes in in the first year, certainly not uh, leadership, but maybe by their fifth year or fourth year, 
uh, they take on leadership roles, and we've geared them up. We've we've identified in a class of uh, four new people, let's say, or five new people, we've identified in that class somebody who we think needs to be, should be chair in um, four or five years later. And, and that means that throughout this period, we're going to slowly introduce them to leadership positions that will keep continuing their role. And I think that those committees and the task forces are training grounds to help folks take on leadership roles. Uh, and and those are all uh, training, you know, from a broad perspective, but also from a very specific perspective. Vernon, mm-hmm. any additional thoughts from you? Uh, no, I just agree with Michael on that. I think he's exactly right about using them in the committee stuff because you're right, you're able to observe and be able to evaluate as well how they're uh, adjusting or maturing in the various roles that they can be able to move up to that level. So I agree with Michael 100% on that. Okay. And I'd like to ask... Um, either of you, and I know that you just um, mentioned, Mike, terms for board members. Um, what are your thoughts with regards to having term limits for board members? What would be the pros, what might be the cons, if any, and uh, and what have you seen as being valuable or, or not valuable with regards to having established term limits for board members? My, my first rule of thumb is to have term limits. I, mm-hmm. I I find that that if we go back to when you asked me about uh, give you some examples of a dysfunctional board, the most dysfunctional board is the one that that is 30 years old and still has its founder. That is 30 uh, years old and still has what? Its founder. Oh. <laughs> it, it's almost the most dysfunctional. I, I'm sure I could find some other examples of dysfunction, but but there is nothing more dysfunctional than the founder who stays for 30 years or 20 years. And, and even 15 years, and, and yet the number of boards I come across that have that situation alive uh, it astounds me. And the first thing I want to do is ask them, can I see your bylaws? Where's that little clause that says uh, uh, you have a term? Uh, because terms are how we manage growth. It's how we manage development. It's how we manage turnover. It's how we manage burnout. Terms are extremely important. I, I'm, I'm fond of the two-, three-year term. I could live – I know that there's some institutions, more public institutions, that do all right with, a, uh, like, a two, three, three-year terms. Uh, it's okay. I'm not, not totally fond of it. I'm always impressed by someone who can stay that long, but, um, which makes me even awestruck when I get somebody who's been there for 30 years. But, uh, so what are the biggest challenges, Mike? I'm, just, I'm going to slow you and back you up a little bit. What do you find as the biggest challenges for that person who comes on the board and they stay on the board for this prolonged period of time? Um, first of all, an organization has its own independent life. Mm-hmm. An individual that stays on a board that long never grows, well, I should say never, rarely develops at the same pace as the organization. Uh, and if I'm a founder, my organization started my infancy stage, I did everything, I know the organization inch by inch, every single element of it, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, hopefully within five years, six years, there's staff, and those staff take on roles, but I'm not quite always ready to give those roles up uh, that I have so cherished, and actually the organization wouldn't have made it without me. So I, I think... Um, Transition is a really tough act when uh, I've been there for a really long time. Okay. Let me have Vernon jump in here and give your thoughts on that. Uh, I'd agree with Mike. I'm a definitely a component. I definitely believe in uh, uh, term limits as well when it comes to board members. I think that the cons of the 
turnover. I realize that a lot of people have concerns that you're losing a lot of uh, of experience and prestige and, and memory and all that stuff when they go out the door. But I think that it's offset by the fact of being able to get new experience, new exposure when it comes through the door as well as providing a, you know an opportunity to have a other larger consistency to come in and be members and be able to come and be a part of the organization. I think that helps expand the realm of that of that organization and its influence by having board members that have come in and have served and now move on throughout the org, you know throughout the community and et cetera. I think that helps enhances the reputation for the organization as well. Okay. And do you think that the term limits are um so let's say you have an organization where it's there they serve two consecutive years uh, or say two consecutive terms of 3 years mm-hmm. and they're off the board for a 3 year period and now um should they be allowed to come back after being on one might say uh um off of the board for some time or do you think once they've served never in a lifetime should they come back no i think that they can be able to do that have a period of time that they have to stay off before they come back I don't, mm-hmm. i'm not opposed to that who knows they may go out and get rejuvenated on something and have mm-hmm. some good ideas mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. never know so now would not be i think that would be a good way to do it okay. i think also that when you have term turnover it should also be staggered so that you don't have all the experience going out at the same time as well off the board as well it should be staggered i think you know when you mm-hmm. do it mm-hmm. three you know three this year three the next year three the next things like that mm-hmm. but anyway just my thoughts. Okay. Appreciate that. Very good. Any additional thoughts from yourself, Mike? No, I, I I absolutely agree that you can let them come back on a year later. If they still have the love and the enthusiasm and the passion. I, on the other hand, I really would have liked to take the, the a, a, a person who goes off the board. I, I'd like them not to come back and take on other challenges with for the organization. I'd like them to take on a... Uh, uh, some kind of a group that uh, advises and doesn't have any governing authority necessarily mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, goes on to run a capital campaign mm-hmm. or takes on some other leadership because they still remain so passionate. But mm-hmm. if they insist on coming back, fine, take a year off, then you can come back. Make okay. sure. Mm-hmm. It, it, it takes about a year to figure out if that's really what you want to keep doing. And you right. Mike, I'm going to put a pause right there. I know you're in the midway in a sentence, but we're going to come back and get the rest of that sentence after taking a short commercial break. Please stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you thinking about starting a nonprofit? Or perhaps you've already started one and want ideas, inspiration, and encouragement. Tune in to Nonprofit Spark with your host, Renee McGivern. Our program will feature as guests the leaders of emerging nonprofits who will share what works for them. We also will hear from experts who offer advice to make your jobs easier. Tune in to Nonprofit Spark, and together we'll create a world that works for everyone. Nonprofit Spark airs live Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. more on Leadership Matters. Michael, going to let you finish your thoughts that you were sharing before our break. Yes, I think I was saying, yeah, I, good question, I don't know what it was, but I think <laughs> what it was, uh, that if somebody insists on coming back after the year, then by George, they should come back, but they've got to go back uh, again to renew themselves as the, in the history, the theory of change. You know, that's the other thing is when new, when new needs come on out there in the world and an organization wants to respond to those needs, if I have the same board members who were coming on initially with a different set of needs that they wanted to address, then we're going to have a clash. So I want that year away. I want to make sure they come back and that they go through the renewal and the training process again and make sure they're the right people for this particular time in life of the organization. Okay, great. Any final thoughts from you on that, Vernon, before you kind of transition? No, if I can just add to Mike, I think that's a good idea by being able to have individuals that when they do transition off the board, they maybe go into an advisory-type board, because I think that an advisory-type board is a very good sounding arm and such that can be utilized by the current board or even CEO to be able to utilize to go and maybe pick some of that experience. So maybe necessarily all the experience doesn't go out the door. It's still there available to be used as it can be. So I think that's a good idea as an advisory board structure. Yeah, excellent. I like that idea as well. So, um, Vernon, we're going to start with you and just uh, ask you to maybe share some of your lessons learned from having uh, served as a board member for so many different organizations or just final tips that leaders might consider as as it relates to um, board governance or development. I think one of the key things I think in serving on the board, I think that it's, I know it's an individual decision, a choice, but I think that uh, before serving on the board, I think an individual should evaluate whether or not they really want to be involved with that board. If they really are committed to the mission of that or the vision of that particular board, because I think you want to be totally committed to it when you go involved. Because if you're not really committed, you're not going to be that much engaged and et cetera. So you want to, I think, enter a board, being committed to it, and being excited about having the opportunity to be a part of. I think one of the key things I was reading somewhere that talks about boards that says, are they good boards because of the what they do, are they good boards because of the people that they have on there, and therefore, therefore, they deserve the reputation that make other people want to come and be a part of it. And I think it's a little bit of a combination of that. I think you've got to have the right people in the board positions and the right kind of people that are committed to that organization. So that commitment and that go, that believe so much in that, 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 that mission that they put everything they can into it to go out and make it happen. I think it's about making sure that you've got the right people on the board that are committed and that you fill the gaps. And, you know, and I talk about the diversity on the board. I mean, making sure that you've got the right skill set. Basically, on the first level, it may be you need finance. You may need to have a, a legal. You may need to have somebody in the construction or whatever. But then it goes down to also the secondary level of diversity with gender, race, and ethnicity as well. So making sure that that's the right mix that you got on the board are just things I think to keep in mind when you start having board selections. Mm, excellent. Thank you so much, Vernon. Appreciate that. And how about yourself, Mike? Anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I, I, Vernon, I think that was a great uh, uh, transition place to end uh, on in terms of 
the question of diversity and um, I think in addition the question of cultural competency. I think right. it's two things. One, we want a, a set of experiences and um, skills that make the organization grow, develop, and live up to its mission, uh, be clear that it's outcomes focused. And at the same time, we want the ability of, we want those experiences, particularly uh, different experiences of right. folks, so that uh, the organization is right on, so that right. it's serving well. Yeah. Um, and, and so cultural competency, that is the ability of everyone around the table to understand and relate to each other and work together is a really important factor. Right. Uh, and we can't just drop, uh, you know, different kinds of people into a group right. without expecting that that group in particular needs to understand uh, how to work with the people that are coming in. Um, on top of that, I think you know this. We have to care and feed for our board. Um, it is a job of the chair, and it is a job of the exec. Uh, they can't just ignore the board and and say, you know, I constantly hear complaints about, oh, the board doesn't come to meetings, mm -hmm. or they don't do the work on the committees, right. or they don't give money. I, I think that's a board that hasn't been cared and fed for, or it's the wrong people at the table. It's one of those two things. And we have to work at making those things correct. And, and it may mean I don't have a board that's 25 people. It should mean that I don't have a board that's 25 people. <laughs> um, but it may mean I, instead I have a board that's 9 or 12 or somewhere more manageable right. where we can get good relationships, we've got the right composition, right. and we've got folks that are clear about their role both as owners and caretakers. And while still recognizing that the nonprofit board in particular is, a, is an odd structure where it has legal responsibility, but it doesn't really get any personal, I mean, it doesn't get any financial benefit. Right. And, and I think that's sort of the, the conflict that comes with people who have to spend all this time and energy. On the other hand, the average board member probably doesn't spend more than mm, two weeks of time total in a given year. So it ain't all that much work. <laughs> okay. Uh, Vernon, uh, additional thoughts you want to add in response to what Mike has just shared? No, no, I agree with 100%. I think he's right on with it. Uh, I, I, I couldn't add anything else to it. I'm, I think it's great. Mm -hmm. And, Mike, you were saying care, and what was the second piece of that care, and what for the board? Feeding. And feeding for the board. Feeding what does that board. look like? Uh, it, it sometimes can be literal. Uh, it, it means that if I have a board meeting and it's at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, by George, have dinner. Uh, if it means I have a morning meeting, have breakfast. But I, that's not the only feeding I mean. I think that there's the emotive feeding. I have to be able to say thank you. I have to uh, ensure that folks understand what their role in, is in the board, that, that, that if they came on the board with, for social networking purposes, that they get social networking purposes, if that's something we can offer them. But we have to also know if that's not what we can offer them. So I think we have to understand why people come onto a board. We have to understand what they believe in terms of the reason for the organization. And we have to give that back to them, or else they're going to be lousy board members. Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's, the, that's the feeding part. Mm -hmm. I think the feeding of that, I would agree with that, Mike, as well as the feeding that maybe not the food is that, like you say, I think reward or recognition for work and commitment of board members should be also done. So we should keep that in mind that you're right. They may not be getting paid, but I think just letting them know that you appreciate what they're doing and, and the function that serve, I think, is also feeding to them as well. Mm -hmm. And how does that happen? What, what are, how does the reward and recognition, what are your recommendations as to how that could happen, what that I mean, might look like? You know, that can be as simple as just being that when they come to a function or something, an acknowledgement, 
that at least this is a board member that's helping hopefully the organization to accomplish mission and, and it's kind of a part that's sitting there to be able to hopefully give provide the benefits and et cetera that ye as employees or you that recipients of the services that this organization provides are being able recipients are. These individuals are helping that happen for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. If they want exposure, give them exposure. You got it. If right. Afraid of exposure, <laughs> uh, if they want to work on something, let them work on it. There if they don't go. want to work on something, uh, try to cajole a lot, and if that doesn't work, don't right. make them do it. You got it. Mhm. Mhm. Good. Um, final top of mind thoughts, Mike. Uh, Let's not forget that this is a lot of work, not necessarily for the board members themselves, but for everybody managing them. And uh, we need to pay attention to that, to that work of organizing and supporting. And, but at the same time, we need to recognize the passion, the supportive nature. We have to make sure that they get the information that they need to make right. good decisions. Right. Uh, we have to be supportive. I, I, we can't do this work without uh, doing the work. Mm-hmm. And Vernon. And probably a final thought that finds will probably be a quote, that effective governance has the following characteristics. It is efficient. It allows a respectful conflict of ideals. It is simple. It's focused. It's integrated and synergistic. It has good outcomes, preserves community assets, and leads to enjoyment and personal reward for the individual board member. Vernon, did a board member say that? <laughs> that? That is a quote from Dr. Don L. Antwire, who's down at oh. Baylor University down in Texas. <laughs> I, I take it he has a functional board. <laughs> you got it. Well, that's what he said. That's the characteristics of it, yeah. of an right. effective governance board. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that's a fabulous note for us to um, end on. So thank you so much for bringing that, Vernon. And and, uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, Both you and Vernon have really given us some good food for thought on this topic of um, board governance and board development. To our listening audience, we want to thank you also for joining us and ask you to join us again next week on Wednesday at 2 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time for more on how you can make your leadership matter. Thank you and have a wonderful week. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. G is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.